Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev. Please lick my balls. Welcome back to the uh, Cold War show. I think this is 120, right? I concur, Doctor. 20. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, 120. No pressure, no pressure yeah. just video, that's all. We do, we, uh, we are recording a little bit of video, uh, mm-hmm. to just a new thing. We might put up little video clips from, I was yeah. with James Caffin and his wife the other day. His wife is a big video right. uh, streamer and she was like, you got to do more video. I was like, all right, fucking hell, <laughs> shit, okay, we'll do more video. <laughs> Um, Calm down. Apparently the kids are all watching the videos and they've got the videos oh. in the internet. This is what the kids is watching these days, right? <laughs> so we're still hey, talking about red scares, right? Oh, no. <laughs> That's private video, Ray, not for public consumption. Oh, different channel. Sorry, sorry. Okay. That's the super, pre- that's the super premium subscriptions. <laughs> Only our super premium subscribers get that. You got that right. Because <laughs> I'm shy. Anyway. Or, or maybe they have to pay not to get it. Maybe that would be the business model. <laughs> we will send you Ray doing Goatsy unless you meet our demands. $1 million. Right, right, yeah. right. Sounds right. Now, in the last last episode, we were talking about the propaganda efforts of the National Association of Manufacturers and right. Hearst Corporation and uh, their Good Keeping magazine and the American Liberty League in the 30s, mm-hmm. basically trying to associate uh, free market capitalism, laissez-faire capitalism, with right. uh, everything that is good about America yes. and... Godliness, Christianity, Ooh, as we will right. start to see. It came to be, they came to try and associate it with good Christianity. Even though, mm-hmm. as I said last time, according to the Bible, the early <laughs> Jesus worshippers were all socialists. Uh, right. Don't worry about that. That's just, that that's just facts. Details. Yeah. Details. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Never, never let a fact get in the way of a good story. That's always been our motto. <laughs> and I, we talked about how um, the uh, American Liberty League, who was made up of Democrats but was like the Dyes Committee was run by a Democrat, but they were anti-New Deal Democrats and anti-FDR right. Democrats because they were owned by corporate interests. Uh, start, they, the American Liberty League was attacking him, uh, FDR that is, and he said... It has been said that there are two great commandments. One is to love God and the other to love your neighbor. The two particular tenets of this new organization say you shall love God and then forget your neighbor and joke that the name of the God they worshipped was property. I think it's pronounced propte. Propte. Yeah, that's how FDR would pronounce it. Propte. 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 I do declare... Now, speaking of religion, um, I want to get more into how the Christian churches uh, were anti- became anti-communist. Mm-hmm. But before I get to that, I want to talk about how originally Christianity in America was pro-socialism and communism. Uh-huh. Uh, talking about a thing called the social gospel. Now, okay. this is something that Roosevelt and his allies who created the New Deal were uh, uh, the, sort of the last great gasp, I think, of the social gospel in America. The original proponents of the social gospel went back to the late 19th century, mm-hmm. and they were trying to reframe Christianity as something that was less concerned with personal salvation after you die and right. something that was more about the public good mm. helping helping the poor helping the sick helping the needy that doesn't sound like america now the yeah go ahead no that doesn't sound like american christianity but uh these these social gospelers as they were yeah. known were trying to weaponize or operationalize 
the part of the Lord's Prayer, which comes from uh, the Gospel according to Matthew uh, mm-hmm. 6.10. Thy kingdom come, thy will, will be, be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. Thy, thy will be done on earth. So I guess that depends on what you think thy will is. Right. But they took it to mean uh, being good and helping people. So they were they were they were typically post millennialists, mm-hmm. which means that they believed that the second coming wouldn't happen until after they had perfected the earth. Ah, so Jesus Jesus doesn't want to come back and go. Ah, oh, what a fucking mess! You haven't cleaned up your room, right? Apparently. Yeah. Jesus said, I will come back when you clean you clean up your room. Don't expect me to come back in here until you've cleaned it up. And by cleaning up their room, they mean ridding the world of, of social evils, greed, I, corruption, murder, violence, all of that kind of stuff. Question, you can't see my hand because you can't see my video right now, but if we clean all that stuff up, do we need Jesus to come back? Aren't we pretty? Are we pretty good? I'm, I'm just asking. Uh, that was Jesus's cunning strategy. Oh, see, cunning plan. All right, all right, cool. Yeah, all right. He goes, well, I don't, I don't. You don't need me now. I can go and yeah, keep playing chess with Satan, um, <laughs> who cheats. By the way, Satan, Satan cheats at chess. Look, Satan, Satan gets a bad rap. Don't get me started on Satan. <laughs> okay. But tell me anyway. Are you following? Are you following my random Bible quotes Facebook group? Yes, I is. Well, you saw the one about Satan and Job. See, this has got nothing to do with the Cold War. But fuck it, I'm here now. You brought me here. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's my fault. It's my fault. That the the Satan mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the Hebrew Bible right. or the Hath Satan as it's sometimes recalled, okay. Satan translates apparently as the accuser. So he was an angel, right. uh, one of God's minions, who God would send out to do things. Um, hey, go! You, typically, right. when Satan appears in the Bible, in the Old Testament, this is, he's basically one of God's uh, uh, um, war angels. Okay. If he needs, Badass. if he needs somebody destroyed by a plague of poisoned toads, he sends Satan to do it. Can you uh, listen? What he did on Tuesday, <laughs> Satan. I'm free, I'm free, boss. What you need? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, listen, the the, the Ammonites, um, yeah. you know, they're worshipping Baal. Who's Baal? Yeah. He's another god. I thought there was only one god. Yeah, yeah, fucking don't, don't just, will you don't. just <laughs> to stop? Stop taking everything I say so literally. God, you piss me off, Satan. Oh yeah, god. but when you said, don't let them eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, I didn't right. take you literally then, and I got into the shit for it when I said, hey, <laughs> it's just an apple, eat it. Oh, well, look, you need to learn... To, yeah, to, you need to learn to when I'm being food. serious. I'm God. Right. Some, I've got right. a, I got a crazy Complex. sense of humor. You should know I'm that complex. by now. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, this is literal. No, I'm not even joking. This is pretty much word for word how it appears in the Book of Job in the okay. Bible. All right. Um, God's sitting around with the angels one day, and He says, "Satan, I haven't seen you. Where have you been?" He goes, "Oh, I've just been traveling, looking at the people, traveling the earth, looking for humans." And right. um, God says, well, have you, have you looked at Job? He's my favorite of all the humans right now. Satan says, no, no, I haven't, I haven't seen Job. He goes, oh, Job, is, uh, he's the, the most loyal of yeah. my humans. He, he loves me, right. fucking loves me, that Job guy. <laughs> and Satan goes, well, do you think he would keep loving you if a lot of bad shit happened to him? God says, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Huh? Well, Job says, look, how about... I go and I test him, and right. we'll see. Satan see if he keeps loving you. Yeah, yeah. Satan says, "What? Well, who did I say? God said that. Satan said that. I, I Job think said, said that. What Job? Say? I think he said Job. <laughs> Sorry, fuck. Satan says, "How about I go test Job? Right? And you know, throw some shit in his way, and and make his life a little bit tricky, and see if he still loves you." And God says, "Yeah, all right. I'll <laughs> I'll put a twenty on that. Twenty bucks says." <laughs> Uh, you you can't turn him against me. 
Satan says, deal. Okay. Done. Right. Signed in blood. So the first thing he go he does is he goes down and he makes the building that all of Job's children are in fall down and they all die. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. So God puts Satan up to a bet that he couldn't fuck up Job's life enough that Job would turn against God. So he kills his kids. Jeez. And God goes, "Oh, shit, that was a good God says, that was a good one. Didn't see that coming. Uh, how's he doing? <laughs> oh, no, he's he's still good. So he goes, well, keep going. See what oh, else you can do. Fuck. So God eggs him on. God eggs <laughs> on, on Satan to try and ruin Job's life. Ru- yeah. Job, by the way, doesn't know he's in the middle of a fucking <laughs> heavenly bet. bet. Right. Yeah. And his life gets completely fucked up and he's like, oh, I don't know what I did, man, but uh, obviously I've been bad. Right. He has guys come to him and they go, Job, what have you done to deserve all this? He goes, I don't know, man. I must have been a real dick to someone. Stay away from uh, me. It's bad. My entire family's been killed yeah. and my bad crops juju. have died and my animals have died. <laughs> and it just goes on. God doesn't go, whoa, 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 Satan. No, no, come on, man. Pull back. Like this is Pull a friendly bet. Like. Yeah, I'm going to bring back all of his kids. I'll bring them back to life. Like, resurrection, baby. That's my secret. You know, I'm... No, he doesn't do any of that. Yeah, well, sucks to be you, Job. (laughs) Anyway, how'd I get onto that? (laughs) Uh, Oh, the second coming. Second coming, yes. I don't know, Satan, chess, yeah. Now, the guy who started the social gospel is usually uh, thought to be Washington Gladden. Mm-hmm. He was an American clergyman who died in 1918. In his 1877 book, The Christian Way, Whither It Leads and How to Go On, he called for the universal application of Christian values in everyday life. Nice. Now, this may surprise people listening to this because I think – particularly Christians, and I know we probably don't have any Christian listeners at this juncture. I think I've driven them all away. But if there are uh, any. Even, people, even <laughs> people that were once Christians, you know, there is, a, I think there's this um, general uh, uh, attitude today that Christians are all about uh, trying to do good in the world. That's a big part of how right. Christians think of themselves. Yes. Um, even though they then vote for Trump in America anyway or here for our conservative parties who are, you know, uh, don't give a shit about the poor people or the immigrants mm-hmm. or whatever. But, you know, they manage to balance that in their heads somehow. But when uh, Washington Gladden was writing this book in 1877, it, this, was a, this was a new idea right. or a revitalised idea anyway that Christians should be concerned with the social ills and dealing with that. He was probably the first significant U.S. religious figure to support unionization of the workforce. Wow. And he also opposed racial segregation. Wow. When did When did your civil war end? 1865. So it's a decade later he's writing this book right. opposing racial segregation. Yeah. Um, now, in the early 20th century, the leadership of the social gospel movement was uh, t- passed on to a guy called Walter Rassenbusch. <laughs> Fucking take- German names. Ra- <laughs> I'll take your Ra- word for Raskin- it. Raskenbusch. Right. Raskenbusch. Right. Should have asked Chrissy how to pronounce that. Raskenbusch. He was a Baptist pastor of a congregation in Hell's Kitchen. Mm. Now... He, uh, as a Baptist pastor, railed against what he saw as the selfishness of capitalism and promoted a form of Christian socialism that supported labor unions and cooperative economics. He had a book in 1917 called A Theology. What the fuck is wrong? It's hour three. I can't talk. (laughs) A Theology for the Social Gospel. Right. Uh, in which he stated that the individualistic gospel had made sinfulness for the individual clear, but it hadn't really talked about institutionalized sinfulness. Mm. He wrote, It has not evoked faith in the will and power of God to redeem the permanent institutions of human society from their inherited guilt of oppression and extortion. Yeah. So... These were the guys that led to the movement that led to prohibition and women's suffrage that mm-hmm. we've talked about in our Bullshit Filter series. Yeah. 
And the- we we talked about how, how the, the these guys, these Christian reformers, uh, led to prohibition in 1920, and uh, it was these guys that were sort of the basis of that. Right, and it was the second gentleman that really helped put it in a more organized fashion, ready to uh, insert itself into politics, because he saw that the social gospel movement, as it was, was not unified and well-focused. Uh, it contained members that disagreed about various things, so he set out to make a movement that needed a, th- a theology to make it effective, um, and basically to to give us some kind of um, organization, some some uh, structure, and so they could be more effective and be more organized when they started getting involved in politics again to try to not focus on the individual so much, but to focus on society and for people to come together and make society better than when they found it. So this was a thing in the United yeah. States in the late 19th and early 20th century about Christians trying to do good, and by do good they meant Socialism. Right. Literally. Now, the movement sort of declined after World War One. You know, I think Christianity took a took a big hit around the world after World War One. There was there was a lot of people saying, Well shit, if God can let that happen to right. Christians, because World War One was largely fought by Christians against the Ottomans, who were mostly Muslims, of course, but um, there was also Germans in there who were Christians. Mm-hmm. So it was Christian on Christian violence, which, you know, I love a little bit of Christian on Christian violence. Um, must be a nightmare for God trying to figure out which side he's going to back. Jesus. I mean, does he does he support both sides? Is he a little bit on, you know, okay. Depends Mondays, Wednesdays, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> right. I'm with uh, the, the allies. Right. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, mm-hmm. I'm with the uh, Axis, and Sunday Sundays, out. I'm going to rest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. If, if I could just add to that. So, yeah. so, before the conservative 1920s comes along that you just mentioned, you're right. The social gospels, you know, they supported progressive era reforms, but then in the 1920s, the country does go far to the right, like you were saying. Um, I think it's uh, they, the, pres- the Republican um, presidential nominees win three of the elections in the 1920s, 1920, 1924, 1928. President Harding promised a return to normalcy, meaning to get back to the way things were before World War I. And of course, there's prohibition, which is also a very conservative move. And so it does this, it does this sharp reaction, like you said, to World War One, World War One. But then, when the Great Depression comes, the, obviously the suffering of the people is going to change all of that, and social gospel is going to make a huge return because of the suffering of the people. Yeah. So you know, I think a bunch of things happened in the twenties. Yes, they mm-hmm. had some successes with prohibition and the women's suffrage movement. Yeah. But then there was then there was a boom time in the U.S. in the U.S. economy, um, and and this whole disenchantment after World War One. So it, it sort of declined. But then yes, the Great Depression brought it back into vogue. And so when Roosevelt launched the New Deal, he had a whole bunch of politically liberal socialist clergymen. Mm-hmm. across America who were championing his idea of building a vast welfare state, and they called it the Christian thing to do. Oh, that's nice. So both Catholic and Protestant leaders were talking about the New Deal as having ethical and human significance. They said that it incorporated into law some of the social ideas and principles for which our religious organizations have stood for many years. The head of the Federal Council of Churches, for example, claimed the New Deal embodied basic Christian principles such as the significance of daily bread, shelter and security. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't make me work for it. Give it to me. Give us this day our daily bread. When you run across quotes like that, you almost, for a moment, at least myself personally, don't hate religion. 
so much. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're the president's trying to pass these things to help the people. We think that's great. These are, these are uh, things that we try to do on every Sunday when we talk. You're trying to make them into laws to help the people. I think that's great. And so they go along. They're making these changes. He's got the backing of some of the religious leaders. And the best that the American industrialists can do to counter all of this positive vibes, if you will, <clears throat> is again, try to take their message of American ideals of American, uh, the idea of self-interest and focus on that and somehow spend that. But as you can imagine, with all the suffering going on with the Great Depression, that doesn't go over very well. But then, and I won't jump too far ahead, but then the NAM president, H.W. Prentice, he's got this awesome idea. He's like, you know what? We're losing this fight. We need to fight fire with fire. We need to use religion to fight the New Deal. Yeah. And that's what they do. They start to associate capitalism, free market capitalism, with Christianity, with God's mm. will, with what God right. wants. And it takes them a long time to do that. And, and a lot of this stuff takes a decade or two to come to full fruition. So I don't want to skip too far ahead of our timeline. But sure. Basically, the way that they do this, and I think I've mentioned this before, is they point out to a lot of the Christian leaders of America that in communist countries, religion had been outlawed. Of course, mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union, one of the one of the tenets of the Communist Manifesto written by Marx and Engels is that religion is just another tool of the manipulation of the, the oppression of the masses. So they wanted to get rid of religion. And right. it was it was illegal for a long time in the USSR. I mean, Stalin opened it up again at one point, as I think we've talked about, because he wanted to get the... Even though it was outlawed, there was still... People were still religious. It just went underground, and he wanted to get them on board for fighting against the Nazis. But, um, you know, basically, the the American industrialists will ever put the fear of no God into the uh, religious leaders, saying, listen, if this country goes full socialist, full communist, they will mm-hmm. ban religion. Do you want them to ban religion? Uh, no. Right. Well, there you go. You know, Christians, we, uh, capitalists, we love it. Uh, right. Bring it communists, on. Communists yeah. hate it. So why are you supporting the people that hate you? And, and what they did was they managed to bribe, basically, the support of some of the big religious leaders, uh, you know, you guys like... Um, Graham? Not yeah, Graham. Billy Graham. A little later. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, okay. All right. Yeah. Billy huh. Graham and those sorts of guys uh, were being funded by the capitalists to uh, go right. out there and sing the praises of uh, capitalism along with Jesus. Um, they, got, they got a shit ton of money from the capitalists to do that. Anyway, I just want to say real quick. Now, again, we're not saying that they're sincere in this. I I think this is very important. Prentice, when he comes up with this idea about fighting fire with fire by using religion, he says, when he speaks in 1940 to the annual NAM convention, he says, look, I need you to focus. You need to emphasize the faith in your public relation campaigns. I'm not saying really be a better person. I'm not saying really start to share your profits with the workers. We're just going through the motions. Again, it's the perceptions that we want to change, control, and win. So it's literally just a better way to lie and use use religion to help you lie and spin your narrative, control your narrative. I don't know how many Americans uh, are even aware of this, but do you know when In God We Trust was put on your money? No, I do not. Take a guess. Um, I'm 1930s, 1940s. I, I don't know. The 50s. 50s. Okay. Was this because we won World War II, and we, or we were in the Cold War, and we needed to make sure God was on our side? No, it was because they were trying to turn America into a Christian country. It was. Placed, um, it was placed on a two cent piece in 1864, but it was started appearing on paper currency in 1957. Uh, mm. Dwight Eisenhower passed a law in 1956 declaring that in God we trust must appear on American currency. 
Right. Jeez. So it was. this was part of the Christianization of what had previously been a relatively secular government uh, in the 50s. And this was all part of this uh, uh, association of capitalism and Christianity or Christianity and capitalism. Billy Graham was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in uh, another episode. I want to stick with our timeline. So after the Dyes Committee, there was the Hatch Act of 1939, a.k.a. an act to prevent pernicious political activities, <laughs> a.k.a. the how much pee alliteration can we fit into the title of a single <laughs> bill act. I think they won. I think they, a, uh, they took home a, the gold. A, alliteration, and P, alliteration. An act to prevent pernicious political activities or the act. <laughs> yeah. I guess it was, a, it was a United States federal law whose main provision prohibits employees in the executive branch of the federal government, except, of course, the president, vice president, and certain uh, designated high-level officials from engaging in some forms of political activity. It goes into law on August 2nd, 1939. But I guess they're just trying to make sure that people that are in government aren't somehow trying to be politically active for someone outside of the government? Or is that reading too much into it? No, I think it goes deeper than that. Um, mm. And it's still relevant. But the, one of the things that it did was it prohibited federal employees from right. membership in any political organization which advocates the overthrow of our constitutional form of government. Sounds fair. So for the first time, it was illegal for federal employees to be associated with any organization that was associated with socialism or communism that, you know, wanted, I mean, not sure even all of those organizations wanted to overthrow Mm -hmm. the government, but they probably wanted to replace aspects of the government. But anyway, it started to make it illegal for certain people being federal employees. Mm -hmm. It was meant to prohibit membership in organizations on the far left and the far right. So the German-American Bund and the Communist Party both uh, were out of bounds for federal employees. Obviously, the concern is that people people who worked for the government would would be somehow uh, manipulating the wheels of government uh, to the advantage Mm -hmm. of these organizations. Now, it also forbid the intimidation or bribery of voters and restricted political campaign activities by federal employees. Hmm. So you, if you're a federal employee, you can't do any political campaigning. So this is why in 2018, six members of Trump's administration were warned for posting <laughs> hashtag MAGA tweets. Right. Because that, that would involve them in the political campaign process? Yeah. That's if you uh, work for the government and you post a tweet with hashtag MAGA, right. make America great again, that is campaigning. And you can't do that if you're a federal employee. But what about my rights when I'm not at work? Well, you don't have that right if you're a federal employee, according okay. to the Hatch Act. Just checking. It also prohibit the use of public funds designated for relief or public works to be used for political purposes. It forbid officials paid with federal funds from using promises of jobs, promotion, financial assistance, contracts, or any other benefit to coerce campaign contributions or political support. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you can be recorded saying to a rich dude... Listen, throw a million bucks into a campaign fund for me. Uh, what do they call them over there? The um, packs. The packs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, throw that into a pack, and I will push this through for you, or not push that through, or I'll stall this in the house, or right. whatever it is. That's uh, against the Hatch Act. Mm-hmm. Now it's been challenged in the Supreme Court a couple of times. Always survives. In 1973, Justice William O. Douglas wrote this dissent. 
It is no concern of government what an employee does in his or her spare time, whether religion, recreation, social work or politics in his hobby, unless what he or she does impairs efficiency or other facets of the merits of his job. Yeah, exactly. Chill the fuck out. But it it, it didn't get any didn't it's, he didn't get it get it, get it anywhere. It still uh, it still, still exists the law of the today. Land. Right. Yeah. Right. Jeez. Well, I guess there was a real fear, like you said, of the radicals. I mean, the not mainstream people of of using their positions to try to corrupt the government or subvert the government or whatever. And so, I mean, on the surface, this sounds logical to a degree. This this sounds like something that that would be uh, prudent. But again, as we're going to see, these very these kinds of laws, if the political climate around Washington gets wacky and it's going to get wacky, then laws like this can be used to curtail freedoms of American citizens. And in particular, one American citizen, which we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) So then there was the Voris Act, 1940, which required groups with foreign affiliations to register with Mm -hmm. the government. Hmm. So if you're somehow affiliated with uh, the communists in Russia, you have to register with the government. Mm. Seems to me to be a um, bit of a breach of your civil rights. What what business is it of your government if your association is affiliated with a foreign government? Right. Or any just foreign affiliation whatsoever. But that got passed in 1940. And then the Smith Act of 1940, which was the first peacetime sedition act in American history. Mm -hmm. And it was used after the war to convict leaders of the Communist Party of the USA of conspiring to teach or advocate the overthrow of the government. God. And it was written for one particular purpose... And that was to deport Australian Harry Bridges. Well, anything to get rid of an Australian out of this country, I'm kind of for, so I can't really say much about that. Particularly Rupert Murdoch. I'm surprised you haven't written a law to get rid of Rupert Murdoch yet. (laughs) So we talked about Harry Bridges a few episodes ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. Australian, moved to the US, became a major union leader, became a citizen, major union leader, uh, had a Japanese wife, um, but he was he was a big deal. He was on front yes. cover of Time magazine, uh, Maritime Union, like the docks, San Francisco, and he had a lot of people, like business leaders and politicians, including FDR, terrified with the amount of power that he had, and they wanted to get rid of him. So yeah. the Smith Act was passed to get rid of him. They passed a law to get rid of one man. Now, yeah. when, when, when your founding father tax dodgers were writing your religious document, a.k.a. the Constitution. Right, sacred. What did they put in there about government shall not pass laws in order to deport a single individual that they don't like? Um, I think because they didn't state it at all. And you have to read between the lines here because it wasn't covered at all. I think it's okay. I think you're allowed to do that, especially it's, this is important, boys and girls. If he's an annoying Australian, why am I asking you anything about American politics? We've got an email from a listener this week saying, "In an old Cold War show, you said that if the president and the vice president died, the Secretary of State is the next in line." And you said, "Is that correct, Ray?" And Ray said, "Yes, it is." No, it's not. He's like 12th in line. Secretary of State, there's the Speaker Speaker of the House House. and then Speaker of the House's wife, then the Speaker of the House's (laughs) Mexican gardener, and then blah, blah, blah. I think it used to be that way before I said, well, I'm shocked. Ray got something wrong about American politics. Hey. Wow. Yeah. Only once a week. Shocked. Yeah. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Shocked that there is 
mistakes made in this here house. If, if I could just give a short um, um, preface to the Smith Act. And so, like you said a minute ago, by 1939, you know, he's he's pissed off a lot of people. Uh, Harry Bridges has pissed off a lot of people. And so they're going to start trying to deport him, like you were saying. So they set up hearings against Bridges, and they try to use the Alien Act of 1918, but it doesn't apply because he's not currently a member of an organization that is advocating the overthrow of the government. So, like you were saying a second ago, what do you do if you're stuck, if you're stymied, but you're the United States government? Fuck you, you make up a new law. Congress had been trying to pass something like this since the late 1930s. They tried to pass uh, something to address sedition. Uh, it didn't work. It failed in 1939. But the Senate Judiciary Committee brings it back in May of 1940. And it has a little bit of anti-alien parts to it and anti-sedition sections. And that parts of that, like you were saying, is just made specifically for Harry Bridges. And it passes the House eight, uh, excuse me, it passes the House 382 to 4 in June of 1940. The Senate doesn't really take a recorded vote on it. I think it's, do the eyes have it? And FDR signed it in late June of 1940, but they finally got the Smith Act, and now they can go after Harry Bridges in style. Yeah, it's it's technically known as the Alien Registration Act, Mm-hmm. Which uh, sounds pretty cool, actually. It sounds like when <laughs> when the lizard people come down and right. uh, integrate, they, they have to, yeah, they got to register, yeah, because they yeah. disguise themselves as humans. Papers? Actually, that's probably what really what happened. The right. lizard people came and they, they go, "Well, no, it's not about aliens. It's about an Australian." Uh, close <laughs> enough to lizard people, I guess. Um, Amen, but brother. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it passed. Now, this whole thing about overthrow of the government I find interesting. Um, yeah, that's a stretch. I, I'm, I, I'm not exactly sure that anybody was talking about overthrow. How do you define overthrow of the government? If you, uh, if you create a new political party which right. takes power away, is that overthrow of the government? Is it a military overthrow? Right. They is it Russia. a peaceful overthrow? Well, yeah, but there's lots of different... Well, what does overthrow mean? Does it have to be military? Is it against the law to have a peaceful overthrow of the government? Um, I'm not is exactly your, sure how they're defining overthrow. Is your question answered in the Smith Act? And I'm thinking that the answer is not except for by force or by violence. But you're right. I think it's in the eye of the beholder. And I think it was written that way on purpose so they could go after entities or people that they want to. Well, here's how it's phrased in the act. Mm-hmm. Um, the, any, it says that there will be fines or imprisonment for as long as 20 years and denied all employment by the federal government for five years for anyone following a conviction of intent to cause the overthrow or destruction of any such government, prints, publishes, edits, issues, circulates, sells, distributes, or publicly displays any written or printed matter advocating, advising, or teaching the duty, necessity, desirability, or propriety of overthrowing or destroying any government in the United States by force or violence or any attempts to do so, or organises or helps or attempts to organise any society, group or assembly of persons who teach, advocate or encourage the overthrow or destruction of any such government by force or violence, or becomes or is a member of or affiliates with any such society, group or assembly of persons knowing the purposes thereof. So it is specifically relating to force and violence for the overthrow of the government. Right. Now, that is what they were trying to do with uh, General Smedley Butler Mm -hmm. in the uh, business plot of 1934. Right. Uh, But I don't know that Harry Bridges or anyone that Harry Bridges was associated with was uh, trying to advocate for violent overthrow of the government. Yeah, um, and which is why they couldn't get rid of him, even with this. So I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, it it didn't work. Is the point? Um, but it was specifically around force. 
Now, it was specifically written to allow deportation of an alien right. who, had a, who had been affiliated at any time since arriving in the US with any organisation advocating overthrow of the government. So they so thought was, they had him. Right. It was so, okay. ret- ret- retroactive, mm-hmm. retrospective. It was like, okay, well, even if you're not engaged in an organisation today that's advocating that, if you've ever been involved right. in any organisation or sponsored them, given them a donation, uh, yeah. any involvement whatsoever, so, like, then you're nice. up for it. Right. Yeah. Now, FDR was fully supportive of this because he wanted to deport Bridges. Yes. Because Bridges had been a critic of the New Deal and the Roosevelt administration. Now, I think mm-hmm. we touched on this briefly uh, when we were talking about him last time, but why, why would a union leader have been critical of a progressive administration like FDR's? I, I thought it was just that he had so many followers and so much power that he could bring certain aspects of uh, industry to a screeching halt. And at this point, even though it's not official, FDR is trying to get ready for the war that he knows that's coming, that the United States is going to be a part of. I just assumed it was a power play, one person against another. But by the way you asked that, I guess that there's more to it than that. Yeah, because the uh, the New Deal was actually a good thing for the unions, um, yeah, it it, prom- it promoted unionization. It, it it forced through uh, negotiations between unions and the employers. Forced the employers to negotiate with the unions mm-hmm. over better working conditions. Uh, so you would think, on the surface of it, yeah. union leaders would be fully supportive of FDR right. and the New Deal. But Aussies, man, we're never happy. <laughs> Uh, we're like, oh, Amen. Well, it's, Amen. it's not not good enough. No. You should have okay. done more. It's okay. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like, I mean, honestly, you know, my criticism of Obama and his, uh, you know, Obamacare, whatever the proper name for it is, the CC, what is it? The I can't something, remember. Something, uh, Affordable the, Care uh, Health, Act? Affordable, ACA. That's it. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a piss weak corporate type. Solution. It yeah, was, you know, it was. If the Republican model is extreme fascism for healthcare, with corporations owning and controlling everything and no zero regulation, right. Obama's was like, well, we'll tone it down a little bit. Yeah. But it wasn't. It wasn't. You know what the rest of the world has, and so right. you know, I think that's like Harry Bridges criticizing the New Deal is like Bernie Sanders criticizing Obamacare. Look, it's better than nothing, but really it's a piss-weak attempt at keeping the corporations happy and making oh. a small dent in the problem. Gotcha. You need to pull your big boy pants all the way on <laughs> and, and introduce proper fucking health care like the rest of the world. Right. You're the president. You campaign on hope and change, not we're going to fiddle half with measures. the dials. Right. Yeah, yeah, we didn't elect you for half measures, you pussy. <laughs> Uh, so I think that was Harry Bridges and FDR's relationship. And and FDR was like, let's get rid of this cunt. Yeah. Can we deport him back to Australia? Can we shoot him? Uh, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is he Japanese? Can we put him in a prison? <laughs> His wife's Japanese. Well, that was Close later. Enough. But anyway. Close enough. Yeah, he married her a bit later. Right. After she got out of FDR's oh prison. Oh, my God. Concentration camps. Right. Um so after the, Mil- the, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was signed in 1939, Bridges and the Communist Party of the USA attacked Roosevelt and Churchill as warmongers and started using the slogan, the Yanks ain't coming. Right. Oh, God. And Bridges started denouncing Roosevelt for betraying labour and preparing for war. So remember, and we've talked about this, um, the reason Stalin signed a treaty with Hitler is because he knew he couldn't fight Hitler. He didn't. Right. He, 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 Stalin just got rid of. He just got finished killing all of his own generals. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and the war in Finland showed how inept they were. Yeah, right. Uh, and he knew he wasn't ready to take on the Nazis, and and also the the, the Russians had been building. 
uh, the German military in secret for a few years, so he knew right. what they had. He was like, oh, shit, we forgot to build one for ourselves. <laughs> Listen, we, we need to stall for a couple of years. Let's sign a peace deal. Yeah. And um, the Americans weren't going to get involved in the war at that stage, and so um, Bridges and the CPUSA were critical of the Americans for not getting involved in, in stamping out the fascists. Yeah. Um, and then he, he also played a role in egging on the strike in aviation in 1941. He um, you know, was ba- had basically been uh, uh, trying to use union power to prevent America being able to gear up for war. This Cause, is because Harry Bridges is doing this? Yes. Okay, so the U.S. hadn't shown any interest in getting involved in uh, stopping the Nazis. So Hitler and uh, Stalin signed a peace treaty for a couple of years. So now Mm -hmm. if the Americans do get involved in the war, they're going to be fighting the Russians. So Bridges and the Communist Party are trying to stop the Americans from going to fight the Russians, because they believe the Russians are the good guys. Right. So they don't want the Americans to be ready to fight a war, to be, to be literally ready physically, militarily to fight a war. Yes. Okay. They're gearing up. So the U.S. is gearing up for war. Absolutely. Um, and, and after the Militov, I keep saying that, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, mm-hmm. if the U.S. goes to war then, they're going to be going to war against right. the communists. Yes. And Harry is going to use his power with the unions to try and stop that from happening. I have to ask you real quick: do you do you judge him for that? Do you blame him for that? He's 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 come to America. He's not an American citizen yet. I don't think he's married yet, and he's coming. He's got this pretty good life. He's amassed power, and he's using his power and influence to not not to attack, but to weaken the country that he's in in support of Soviet Russia because he is either a communist or, or a communist sympathizer. Do you, do you judge him for that, or is that just the reality of the politics at the time? And he was doing his part. How's he weakening the country he's in? If, if, if it's because he's in charge of so many, he's in, you know, he's in the labor movement, and if he can help slow down America's gearing up for war, does that make him a traitor? I mean, obviously, one man can't stop an entire process, but if he's doing his part, or is it is he is it more just messages that he's putting out there trying to convince people, or is he literally trying to slow down the process through the unions of America getting ready for war? Why is stopping America from going to war a bad thing? Because you just said a second ago, well, good or bad, let's set that, set that aside for a second, but... If there's well, a you're, asso- yeah. you're, you're associating him trying to stop America gearing up for war as being weakening his own country. How is that weakening his country? No one's attacking America. America's not being invaded. America's not being attacked. Right, but that's, that's not the best argument because Hitler has already attacked so many countries by surprise. The Japanese are going to attack America by surprise. That's kind of how it's being done at this point. It's no declarations of war. It's, you get hit first, and then they declare war on you. So I, I can easily see why FDR or whoever would be thinking this guy is a traitor to, to this particular country because he's trying to influence or trying to slow down us getting ready for war that we all know is coming. Well, I don't think that makes you a traitor. I mean, there were a lot of anti-war voices in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. At the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a as a union leader, as he's a political leader, as any political leader, he has an obligation to obey what he thinks are the right morals and ethics of the situation. If he thinks America right. shouldn't be getting involved in those wars, and we've talked about this before, Japan attacked the United States because the United States had already started an economic war against Japan. It was defence, really. Japan hitting Pearl Harbor was a form of defence. They were already at war with the United States. It was just an economic war. That the United mm-hmm. States had started by limiting Japan's access to the natural resources that it needed. 
Okay. They, they, economic sanctions is a form of war. No, I, I completely see your point. Before, uh, because before Pearl Harbor, yeah, roughly 40%, 50% of America did not want to get involved. They wanted Britain to win. They wanted Germany to lose, but they did not want to get involved. And so he's just one of... 50% or 40% that doesn't want to get involved. He's just in a different kind of position where he can actually, to a degree, manifest those desires. And I think this is a good form of democracy. So you've got your politicians with their political power on one hand, and you've got mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the people through their control of the economy via the unions also exerting their control. Over it, so there's this balance between right. the different uh, forms of power, which is really what mm-hmm. socialism is all about. It's about giving society more access to the levers of power and the uh, the distribution of wealth. Right. Anyway, so for a couple couple of years there, he is trying to stop the U.S. from gearing up for war because he doesn't want to see Americans go to war with the Russians. Right, but then. Uh, Operation Barbarossa happened and he changed his Mm -hmm. position on that because now they're all on the same side. But before then, um, there was this whole issue of the fifth column scare going on. So from Mm -hmm. May to July in 1940, just within a couple of months, the New York Times alone carried 470 different articles or editorials containing references to a fifth column in one context or another. Roosevelt delivered a fireside chat warning of the dangers of the fifth column inside of the United States. Um, While his wife was being accused of being in the fifth (laughs) column in the (laughs) Dyes Committee and by by, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was this big concern in the U.S. that guys like Harry Bridges were actually trying to subvert the government of the United States. They were a fifth column. Whether or not he was, I don't know. But anyway, they wanted to get rid of him. Um, And and so they tried to deport him in 1941. But the Board of Immigration Appeals, the BIA, which sits inside the Department of Justice, still around, reversed the deportation order after finding that the government's two key witnesses were unreliable. (laughs) We're not saying that they lied or that they were schooled or anything. They were just unreliable. Yes. So they're trying to, they're trying to deport him um, on the basis of the Smith act by saying that he is advocating for the overthrow, violent overthrow of the government, but the department of justice threw it out. The government's own suit, the Department of Justice, went, no, nah, this is bullshit. Your case is, your case yeah. is flimsy. Because he's, he's not advocating for the violent overthrow of the government. No, no. They were, they, they, the case was bullshit. But then Germany attacked the Soviet Union in June of 1941, as we said before, Operation Barbarossa, and Bridges then flipped and started to get his unions to prepare for war. And, and the other part of that is FDR obviously has to start co- uh, cozying up to Stalin because he's now an ally. Bridges does his part. He, he helps increase production. And that's what you do. So, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's, su- he's supporting the allied effort because now the Americans, and, and it's convenient for him, let's be honest, but it's the Americans and the Soviets fighting a common enemy. That's a no-brainer. That's something he and FDR can get behind. See, everyone's changing positions here. It's not just right. Harry Bridges. So absolutely. Bef- before Barbarossa, Bridges was pro. Uh, he was trying to support the Russians, mm-hmm. support the communists in Russia. Um, uh, whereas FDR was against Russia. Yeah. Um, after Barbarossa, and particularly after Pearl Harbor, as you said, FDR all of a sudden sees Russia as a potential ally. And Bridges sees war against Germany as a good thing. 
So they're, they're all changing sides depending on what's going on at the time. It's not just Bridges who's jumping horses here. FDR jumped horses. Churchill, as we talked about, jumped horses as well. Oh, all yes. of a sudden, he's on, yes. he's on the first fucking plane to Russia as soon as Barbarossa <laughs> happens to sit down with Stalin, who right. he loathed. And then they become best friends for a while. Drinking, right. laughing, doing Don't dirty jump. things in yeah. late, late at night, all greased up. Shit like that. <laughs> But see, here's my thing. Even though you're absolutely right, it's all about the context of, of the reality that's that's surrounding you that helps you decide what you're going to do. So Bridges is now on board. He's getting he's using his position to try and increase production because obviously there's a there's a war scare, there's a two front war for America. But that's still not enough for Attorney General Francis Biddle because he overrules the BIA and orders Bridges to be deported. And, and, and of course, Bridges, is, no, he's going, he knows the legal system, so he's going to appeal, but he loses in a district court. But again, there's always someone higher that you can go to up until the Supreme Court, and that's what Bridges does. And the Supreme Court overrules the, his being deported by voting 5-3 to three in June 18, 1945, in the case of Bridges versus Wixon, that the government had not been able to prove Bridges was affiliated with the Communist uh, Party in America because they were looking for something more than just sympathy or mere cooperation. There had to be actual physical support or monetary support, and that's not what he had done in the past. He had just been sympathetic to their cause. So again, they still are going after this guy, but the Supreme Court comes to his rescue. Yeah, so the system worked. Yeah, uh, which you have to give it credit. The government is trying to kick this guy out of the country. Right, it's personal for no for for no other reason than he is using the unions to get in the way of what the government wants to do, right. Right. which is go to go to war. Um, and then, but this is like you know goes on right through the forties. Even after oh, yeah. he changes his position, they're still going after him, trying to kick him out of the country. So this is 1945. The war right. is pretty much over. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're still you know, friendly with the Soviet Union to a large extent, as much as they can ever be. And uh, the government's still trying to kick him out of the country. But yeah. the Supreme Court rules in his favour. Then he becomes a naturalised US citizen in 1945. But then... Mm-hmm. In 1948, <laughs> the federal government tries Bridges for fraud and perjury. Oh. Now, of course, at this stage, Truman is the president. Right. He's, and as we've talked about already, he's a hard anti-communist. Hard. Right. <laughs> and you've got this whole thing going on in the US where you have to be a hard anti-communist. The Republicans right. go really hard extreme to try and... Uh, uh, weaken the Democrats' hold mm-hmm. on the White House by saying they're works. soft on communism. Right. Truman goes hard anti-communist, and they go after Harry Bridges again. The government <laughs> claims that when he applied for naturalization, he mm-hmm. denied that he had ever been a member of the Communist Party. Mm. A jury convicted Bridges and two other guys that were his right. co-defendants, and he was sentenced to five years in prison and had his citizenship revoked. They finally got him. They finally got him. But then... <laughs> right? The Supreme Court overturned the conviction in 1953. Oh, my God. Yeah? Because the indictment on fraud and perjury charges hadn't occurred within the three years uh, statute of limitations. So the government so the, gives up. So the government dropped the criminal charges. Oh, but good. they <laughs> then pursued him in civil Fuck. court in 1955. I'm, I'm hoping sorry. Hoping... <laughs> did, did he have sex with a minor on the Lincoln statue? I mean, what the fuck has this guy done? They are hounding him. They are dog hounding him. This is what happens. God. When you. This is what happens when you stand up to the yes. American capitalists. When you when you stand up to the when the workers stand up to the capitalists and try and prevent them from getting what they want, 
they will crush you. This is what happens. This is what happened to Julian Assange right now. That's true. He is in he is in Belmarsh, the harshest prison in the United Kingdom, with uh, murderers, terrorists, he rapists. Should not be there. That's insane. A hacker. He's not even. A, he hasn't been a hacker for twenty years. Like he's a, a publisher. <laughs> right. Australian. This is what America does to Australians <laughs> who try to uh, overthrow the government. Right. Except Rupert Murdoch overthrew your government and you didn't see it coming, but he we did it the smart you. way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. So they, they, the government goes after him in civil court trying to overthrow his naturalization, saying it had been obtained by fraud. Right. The trial judge ruled in Bridges' favor. The government didn't appeal, and that was it. But that's 1955. <sighs> so for 15 years, yeah. the government had been trying to kick Harry Bridges out of the country, uh, passed a fucking law in order to do it, and still <laughs> failed because the charges were bullshit. Yeah. It, the yeah. charges were all bullshit. The government couldn't even get the charges through their own fucking legal system. That's how sp- Furious, exactly. and scurrilous, and other S words that end in an S <laughs> were. Right. Shed, On Pearl shedding. Harbor Day, right. not Pearl Harbor Day, 1958, Harry married a Japanese woman, Noriko Sawada. Gotta love the irony there. He married her on Pearl Harbor yeah. Day. Sticking it to <clears> the <throat> Americans. She was an amazing lady in her own right. She was a civil rights activist who helped overturn the law in Nevada banning mixed-race marriages. Wow. She had been... She had been in one of the uh, Japanese internment camps in Arizona during the war. When Mm. she and Harry applied for a marriage license, they deliberately did it in Nevada, where I got married, by the way. Cool. Um, I'm I'm surprised that uh, the... They good people you. of Nevada allow, let an Australian get married. Again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Not two, uh, not the second one. Yeah. 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 I got married in married in Las Vegas. Um, they were, uh, their marriage license was denied in Nevada because the Nevada law at the time forbade people of different races from getting married. God damn. 1958. Get over it already. But yeah. The uh, law was written in 1846, and it prohibited marriages between whites and Asians. Hmm. hmm. Uh, why? I don't know. I don't know why that law was passed. I mean, Mexicans, blacks, yeah, but Asians? I guess Pearl Harbor. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. 1846, it was written. 1846. The law was written in 1846, and it was still viable in 19... 19- 50, whatever. 58, yeah, but it, in, written in 1846, it prohibited marriages between whites and Asians. Jeez. Boy, Americans can hold a grudge, can't we? Whew. But but what grudge did you have against Asians in 1846? Um, the gold rush when whites were rushing out to California and we ran into a bunch of Chinese and ja- Japanese and Chinese and um, we got pretty violent with them. But that's a long story. <laughs> we did. We were we were pretty nasty to them. I know, but then you decided, you know what? We're not even going to let white people marry them now. We're saving the white. I have no idea. I'm just, I have no idea. But yeah, yeah, no that that was just a reflection of their anger and, and racism. So Harry and Noriko uh, deliberately uh, applied for a marriage license. It was rejected. She was asked by the license clerk, "Are you black, white, brown, red, or yellow?" <laughs> Now, she had been born in the United States. Oh, my goodness. She wasn't a foreigner, but she said, well, I guess under those categories I must be yellow. Right. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Harry used his access to the press and lawyers to make a big deal out of that in the national press. Guess how long it took them to strike down the Nevada law? How long? Guess. I want you to guess. How long they went from that to the Supreme Court, or how far did it go? Just the local court. How many, how in time, in terms of duration, how long it took for them to get rid of that Nevada law from when their marriage license was rejected? Um, Two years. Four days. (laughs) 
You don't mess with an Asian and Australian when they get together. Woo, <laughs> baby, they make things happen. <laughs> Four days they got the law changed. Uh, the couple got married in Reno. Damn. And Bridges Bridges died in 1990, still yeah. living in America. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, what a legend. Legend. Yeah. And again, I'd never heard of him until nope. uh, Victor brought him to my attention a while back. So thank you Good again job, to Victor, yeah. Victor Santoki for bringing Harry to my attention. Well, uh, that's all for today. Uh, hope you've enjoyed that, everybody. Next time, we're going to be talking about Executive Order 9835, mm. uh, Truman's Federal Loyalty Security Program. We've talked about that a bit before, but then and I'm going to get into more of HUAC and right. uh, we'll probably get more into the whole religion thing as well, um, the, 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 the complicity of uh, some of these religious leaders in the Red Scares. But I hope, as you can see from all of this... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, it was largely based, as I said a few episodes ago, the, the Red Scare in the United States in the 30s, 40s, 50s was largely based on industrialists, capitalists, business leaders, the yeah. rich, trying to prevent progressive elements in the government and in the unions from... Uh, uh, putting regulations and laws and measures into place that could stop businesses from putting seals of approval, uh, getting, right. you know, doing whatever the fuck they wanted, basically. Uh, yeah. Control over who got to work, how long they got to work, when they got worked, what they got paid, what you got to say in the press, your advertising, all of that. It was it was a massive it was a wild attempt. West. Yeah, yeah, a massive attempt on behalf of businesses mm-hmm. to prevent regulation and oversight, and that's still what's going on today. The the I believe ninety eight ninety nine percent of the fight against any form of socialism in the United States is because once they open that door a crack, oh yeah, it's going to lead to more oversight and regulation, and they're trying to get rid of oversight and regulation as much as they can. The EPA yeah. and uh, you know uh, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Some of the stuff that Obama put into place after the uh, financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know they try they try business leaders try and shut that down as much as possible, and. Um, that is socialism and communism in the United States is a uh, dog whistle term for regulation and oversight, basically. Absolutely. And this has been going on for decades. Deliberate propaganda, manipulation of the American people to associate socialism and communism with the evils and not with progressive policies and fairness. And like Carter said, they have reporters said who went on to write several books. It's all about vigilance, constant vigilance. You got to know who the real enemies are in order to solve the problem. All right, we'll be back next time. on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.